Good evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Liberty Station. Uh, tonight, we have a man whose resume is extensive. And I have to tell you, uh, I've got a story to talk about how this man became a dear friend of mine. And funny enough, as I was recounting it with him before the program began, he didn't remember it. And I knew he wouldn't because the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. But he was instrumental in a very critical moment in my life. Now, you're going to be a little bit shocked because as we get into the conversation tonight, you're going to realize that, um, well, we're going to have some differing views, uh, but the beautiful thing about it is we are friends, and I adore this man, and I'm blessed by him, and um, I love the fact that he seeks to endeavor uh, to, to build unity, and um, so... I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to go through his extensive resume. I'm going to have him do that on his own. Uh, but Ambassador Rick Grinnell is our guest. Pretty cool, huh, yeah. Bryce? Ambassador, welcome. Well, thanks. That's Rob. It's like such a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, you might want to talk closer to the thing because they need to hear everything you have to say. And you just want me to thank you again. No, no, yeah. no. <laughs> no, what I would like, though, seriously, is when I had asked you at the beginning, uh, before we started the program, to kind of tell me how you got into all this. I mean, um, your background is fascinating. And uh, I, I want you to give, give them everything you gave me, from your home to your, your undergraduate, your graduate, all that stuff, Great. if you would. It's profound. Well, thanks for having me. It's a, such a pleasure. Um, I, I was born in Michigan, uh, of all places, uh, youngest of four kids, all right. and grew up in the church and have more evangelical ministers in my family than uh, I could even count. And the Pope has appointments. Exactly. Right? <laughs> um, and so I, I'm somebody who uh, recognizes the importance and power of a daily relationship with Christ. I um, went to... High school in Michigan, graduated from high school in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a little town called Jenison, Michigan. Went to college. Did you do Did you do Boy Scouts at all? I did. I was a Boy Scout. Were you an Eagle Scout? I was a wee below. I didn't make it to... Uh, yeah, I to, didn't either. Yeah, I quit. Yeah. I think nobody else in my family did it, yeah. and so I was kind of new territory. My, my, my dad was an Eagle Scout, and my sons are Eagle Scouts, but greatness gives a generation, yeah, so I'm okay that. with that. But I did do Boy Scouts and wee below, so all I was... Right. I was pretty much into it. So you graduate high school? And then I went to Evangel College. Where's that located? Um, it's now called Evangel University. It's in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, okay. Assemblies of God National uh, Liberal Arts School. Great experience. Loved every minute of it. Then uh, kind of went in the workforce a little bit and then went to graduate school at uh, the Kennedy School and graduated from Harvard Kennedy School and then what, what, kind of went out. What was your graduate degree? Uh, a master's in public administration. Okay. So MPA. I lived on the business school campus. Right. And really got to know a lot of the uh, the MBA students at, at Harvard. And to this day, some of them are, are great friends. You know, they MBA and MPA is really interesting because they're basically the same thing. One is for the public and one is for money. Right. <laughs> I chose <laughs> public, sadly. But, uh, no, I don't think so. Now, now I'm, I'm catching up since yeah. I'm in the private sector. But uh, it's great fun. And then went into uh, my career, um, had some amazing jobs. One of my greatest jobs was being the spokesman for the mayor of San Diego, Susan Golding at the time. That was in the 90s. In the 90s, late 90s. And then um, she had endorsed uh, John McCain for president when in 2000. And so we kind of worked on that 2000 McCain campaign. And then 
I had met, I had earlier in my career had worked on Capitol Hill and I had met a guy who was the spokesman for the Ways and Means Committee by the name of Ari Fleischer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Ari kind of worked his way up, became the Bush spokesperson and ultimately uh, got me a job in the Bush administration after President Bush had won. And I worked for eight years as the spokesman at the UN up in New York and had an amazing time eight years i think everybody i knew in the bush administration had like four or five six jobs i had one which was just at the un the whole time and from there i left uh went into the private sector started my own company um during the obama years and then uh when president trump ran you know this is a real interesting point is when i was the spokesman at the un we had uh you know the iraq war we had the uh afghanistan war and I was the American kind of defending these neocon positions. Right. It took me several years and certainly into the Obama administration to kind of evaluate whether or not that really worked. Obviously, it didn't work. It's an and industrial I had, war complex thing. Yeah, and I had a big change of heart about um, what is America's role in the world? What are we supposed to be yeah. doing? Obviously, what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan didn't work. That's the reality. There it is. So in 2016, when President Trump or Donald Trump at the time came on the scene and started articulating about an America first policy, it just rang with me. It resonated with me. It was, it was what I had been thinking for a while and critiquing. And boy, he was willing to critique the Bush policy and the McCain policy, neocon policy. And everybody in my world of foreign policy said, if you work for Donald Trump, you're going to go down in flames and you will never work in foreign policy again. And I remember thinking, this is the right position. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I went and worked on the campaign in 2016. Um, I was sent to some tough assignments. Rudy Giuliani, Mike Flynn, and I went to the Democratic Convention when Hillary was the nominee to hold a daily press conference to bash Hillary's foreign policy. Now, this is in 2016. Right. So fast forward, he wins. Uh, I become ambassador to Germany, go on to be the acting director of national intelligence. Do you speak German? I speak English because I was the American ambassador. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, some German words. But uh, My sister is fluent in German. That's what I was asking. She went I, I, went, Institute. I went toe-to-toe with uh, Chancellor Merkel, and she speaks English. Okay. She always had an interpreter. Even though she that's speaks, a, that's yeah. a that's a power play. It's a power play because you know, I guess when you're negotiating, you want that word, right? And yeah. she'd sometimes look and get a word, but she, her English was pretty good. Um, she she was a PK. She's a pastor's kid. Yeah, yeah. Methodist, right? I don't remember. I'm I don't pretty think, sure Methodist. Sure, I don't know if Methodists were real prevalent in Germany. Well, we'll take a look at it later. I but I do was, know she's a PK kid. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she was Methodist. Yeah. Anyway, I'll take your word for it. Uh, so then. I became acting director of national intelligence because President Trump asked me to do this temporary job. I also did... <laughs> just, just, just a little thing. <laughs> one of the greatest jobs I have, uh, and not a lot of people remember, but I was the presidential envoy for Kosovo and Serbia and got four economic agreements negotiated and ultimately signed the last one in the Oval Office with the heads of state. And that's when President Trump was like, now I believe in you and this job. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. I had to convince him a little bit that it was even doable. Now, I, so much to unpack there. And I'm first of all, thank you for coming. Uh, you're, you're over in Santa Monica, and you, I think right? Manhattan Beach. Manhattan Beach. Yeah. Uh, obviously, when you worked in San Diego, you fell in love with our state and yep. moved here. 
Um, but but there's a lot to unpack because a lot of folks may or may not know, and and we'll get into this that, uh, and and we talked about it if we wanted to bring it up or not. But uh, it the the fact that you're you are uh, an unashamed homosexual or gay is gay. The term. Yeah, sorry. Yep. So the, the reason why I bring that up is because the first time we met. And you didn't know this, but I want to recount it for everybody, that I I was running for the state assembly. And being a conservative in California is like being a California condor, an endangered <laughs> species. And I needed, you know, politics is done by addition and multiplication. I need everything. I can. That, that to me is the key right there. Right. So I go to the log cabin Republicans, which is the, the, the gay um, Republican group, great gay Republican group to seek their endorsement. Now, I'm, I'm an evangelical fundamentalist minister. I believe in traditional marriage. I mean, the whole thing, right? And I get up in front of them, and I, I'm thinking, I don't have a snowball's chance in hell. I love that you came, though. Well, of course. I, 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 that's my Make job. Your case, yeah, right? you gotta. So I told a story about my sister, who um, is a lesbian, and I, I told the story about how you know, my dad was in a home with Alzheimer's, my mom was dying of cancer, and we had to gather as a family, and she'd asked me to officiate her wedding, and I said I couldn't. It was against my ecclesiastical orders and what I believe. And we didn't talk for quite a while. I mean, it was tension. And to my sister's credit, she was the only one who supported me when I went into the ministry. Uh, everyone else just treated me like a penny looking for change. And not just, you know, emotional support, but financial support. She was generous, and she still is to this day. She's precious. And here she wants to give me a gift by saying, you're, you're ordained, you, you can officiate my wedding. And I just said, I can't do it. And, and it was just, it, it was tough. You know? yeah. It was really hard. So um, we hadn't talked, and now my mom's dying, and my dad's in a home with Alzheimer's, and my brother is the oldest, I'm the youngest, and then my two sisters. My brother's a kind of a Baptist. He's a Baptist. My sister Nancy's <laughs> an evangelical. Yeah, he's a good Baptist. He's just, yeah, a little legalistic. He's a sweet guy. <laughs> he's the oldest of the family. And then my sister Nancy, the oldest of the daughters, is an evangelical Catholic. And then my sister Gretchen kind of an animist, uh, may profess a following. I don't know where she is right now. Um, and wow, then what did your parents raise you? All? You know, we weren't really raised in a Christian home. My, uh. my folks came to faith later in the Catholic church with father, Michael Murphy, which long story in of itself. And, and they died believers. They were, you know, they, they always had a love for America and a respect for God. They just, I don't remember ever praying or reading the Bible. Hmm. I didn't grow up in a Christian home like you did. It yeah. just wasn't the deal. So uh, here I am an evangelical minister. And the joke is, my Catholic parents couldn't come to their Protestant son's ordination because they're their Jewish godson's bar mitzvah. And that's a totally <laughs> true story. So uh, my sister and I hadn't talked, and we had this inevitable meeting because we have to decide what to do with mom and dad, and all the siblings are getting together. My sister Nancy was in charge of my mother's health directives, and Gretchen was in charge of my mother's financial directives. Lauren wasn't, and I wasn't, because we didn't live in Coronado. So my brother and I drive to Coronado for the meeting, but before we go there, we visit my dad in the rest home. And I'm telling this story to log cabin Republicans. I said, I sit down with my dad in the, in the garden on a love seat. My dad doesn't talk. He's completely out of it. He's deep in the last stages of Alzheimer's. And I'm holding his hand. They just shaved his face, just cut his hair. He smelled good. His, his fingers were all you know manicured. He had beautiful hands. He was an amateur woodworker and as a hobby. And my brother pulls a chair up in front of him. The oldest always need the blessing of their dad. And he pulls a chair up in front of my dad. And he's like, dad, I'm your oldest son, Lauren. Can you say Lauren? He does this every time. It's just like, give him a break, Lauren. He can't talk. And he keeps doing it. And I'm like, I want to respect my older brother, but I'm frustrated by it. And I'm holding my dad's hand while Lauren's doing this. And my dad squeezes my hand. 
Oh, that's kind of cool. My brother keeps doing it. My dad squeezes my hand again. I just smile. Mm. It's time to go for the inevitable meeting. I give my dad a kiss, freshly shaved cheek, warm neck, let go of his beautiful hands, get in the car, drive. And I sit down for this inevitable meeting. My sister Gretchen's across from me, the, my lesbian sister, sister Nancy here, Lauren there. And we sit down, boom, Gretchen goes from zero to angry. And she's just, you don't love me. You don't love mom. You don't love, you love the church more. And she's just lighting me up. Just getting it all out. And I have to just kind of sit there and take it because she's frustrated. Yeah. I gave you all these things and you just, you know, just light me up. And they're kind of scooting away, my other siblings, from the nuclear explosion. And in the midst of my sister's frustration, I go, Dad, talk to me today, Gretch. And it flusters her because she loves my dad. And she says, he doesn't talk. And my brother chimes in. He goes, I was there. He didn't say anything. And I look at my brother and I go, he did. You just weren't listening. And Gretchen says, what did he say? I said, you know when Lauren does that mantra? I'm Lauren. Can you say Lauren? And both my sisters roll their eyes. Yeah, we've been there. I said, he was doing it again today, but this time I was holding Dad's hand when Lauren was doing it. And Dad squeezed my hand not just once but twice. And this is what he said to us, Gretch, without words. He said, Rob, Lauren wants something from me I can no longer give him, and he's missing the things I can give him, a hand to hold, a cheek to kiss, and a neck to hug. And I said, Gretch, Dad wants us to understand that, that you can't affirm me as a right-wing evangelical fundamentalist minister and you as a left-leaning liberal lesbian. I said, but we can give the things we can. I never missed your birthday. You know, I love you. And went through the whole thing. Cried. It was sweet. My dad, from an Alzheimer's home, healed the family. Mm. I tell that story, I'm thinking, this is, it's true. I thought, maybe it'll move the folks in the audience at the Log Cabin event. And the first question out, when I'm done, thinking maybe I have a chance, the first question out, would you officiate the wedding today? And I'm like, eh, well, I'm done. And as I'm getting ready to answer it, the keynote speaker, the highest ranking official in the Bush administration, homosexual, uh, gay, excuse me, steps up and it's you. And you look at that man, you say, stop it. I would never ask that question of my brother. He came here in goodwill. You actually said... People like us are being thrown off the buildings in the 1040 window. And we have the due process by Christian faith. And this nation is pluralistic. And he came here seeking our endorsement. I would never ask that of him. And the entire room quieted. I was blessed by that, Rick. Mm. It, was, it was a profound night for me. I got their endorsement. And our paths never crossed. And then I saw you in the Bush administration, and this is why it's significant to me. My sister had professed faith in Christ and raised her hand at a service. Uh, and then she ended up getting married to her life partner. They pulled away, and Bush gets elected, and they're all going to internment camps. That's her belief. Right. And, and, and she's just buying whatever they're selling. And he is a homophobe, and, and I see you. And I'm like... Gretch, what, what do you, you know, I, I look at Blexit, I, I look at, you know, the, the, the Latino, largest Latino mm -hmm. increase in the Republican Party history, black increase in Republican Party history. Trump's building this tent, and he reaches out to the gay community and places you in a position, you're ambassador of Germany, and then going on to obtain two even higher level positions, and you're used in a significant manner. And I, I'm, I'm sitting back and I'm thinking, in a pluralistic society, um, I know you to be pro-life. You love the unborn. You, you, you stand for conservative principles. And 
Charlie Kirk and I, you have Rob Smith, who's uh, part of Turning Point USA. He's, he's gay. And Charlie was hesitant to speak at our church because he'd never spoken in church because he felt everyone would judge him uh, based on, you know, Turning Point being a secular 501c3, Mormons, Catholics, atheists. I said, Charlie, Galatians 3 says that the law is a school teacher, a guardian, to point us to Christ until faith comes. You know, it, the, the founders called it the, the laws uh, of nature, nature's God. And, and they're rowing in the streams of liberty. Faith will come later. Why would we relegate by a litmus test all of those folks to the secular progressive left yeah. when you get the opportunity to have them row in this stream where you see the laws of nature and nature's God? And it's, it, I was, uh, Brandon Tatum, Officer Tatum, mm -hmm. black man. I looked at him and I said, man, when Trump lost, I just said, of all people, you should be the one bailing on us, but you're standing strong. He said, I, I, I believe in this. And, and I, you had the most to lose. You're, you're getting the daylights beaten out of you. You're like, a, you're like an Arab Christian. It, the, the, the Jews don't trust you and the evangelical Christian, and, and then the Muslim world wants to destroy. I mean, you have no friend... Um, and yet, you never waver in that regard. Now, we go back and forth, and, and we, we know all the landmines there are. And you and your brother have profound conversations, and I'm happy to engage in those tonight. But I wanted to set the stage for everybody. Yeah. That before we go anywhere with that, I want everyone to know that you are my friend, mm. and you bless me. And I'm thankful that, that God gave me a friend like you. Thank you very much. Um, there's so many angles we could go on, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> this is going to be a six-part series. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it could um, be. The, I mean, we could talk about the political angle. We could talk about the failures of the church. We could talk about, you know, me personally. What, what wherever, I, wherever you want to go. What I just start with in every morning. Is, I want everyone to know you. Now, we'll. we'll this is going to be a real stick stickler, and and you and I would contend, and we we can off the air. Um, and we have, but you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I call myself an imperfect, imperfect follower of Christ. Every morning, you know, I wake up and I am thankful that the God of the universe and His Son Jesus Christ allows me to have mercies every morning. I don't deserve what I'm promised. I don't deserve it. I understand the human failure. I understand the original sin. Um, but, you know, Christ, when you just look at his example, you know, when I was growing up, we used to call it the red letters, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You'd look at the Bible and they would just have the Fair Christ's right. words were in red letters. Um, I believe that I was born this way and that God doesn't make mistakes. I believe that I need to, every single day, look to the creator of the universe and his son, Jesus, for direction. And do I learn every single day from people like you and others? Absolutely. But I also look in the Bible at all of the people that Christ, uh, that, that God used and that Christ chose. And those people were totally human vessels of failure. Um, and, you know, tax collectors and some of the worst people in the world that just had something in their heart that said, I'm going to follow this man. And so I have grown through the hate of the church, through the rejection of the church, to love the church and to separate 
uh, Christ from Christians. You know, Christians are the followers of Christ, and we, as the is the the fallible man that's made by the Creator of the universe, we will never be perfection. We will never be close to God, and I and I recognize that human failure. And so I'm not disappointed when I walk in the room that people don't clap and say, I approve of who you are. I'm not looking for that. Um, I don't agree with my brother or my mother or my partner on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, I don't even agree with myself from five years ago sometimes. Yeah. So I, I just want to always look. I am somebody who looks at the glass and it's half full. And then let me just layer on the, 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 the reality of the times that we're living in. Every great civilization through the history of the world has lasted roughly 250 years. Titler cycle. It's scary. Yeah. Because we are butting up against that. Yep. And when you just go back in history and you look at great leaders, and I would say Ronald Reagan was a great leader. Well. He warned us. Every great generation has to fight for their freedom. Yeah. And I, uh, I fear that we have a generation that's not ready to fight for their freedom. We are not promised to be the greatest country. And I have traveled the world. And I can tell you, there are a whole bunch of Western-style democracies and governments around the world that make you show an ID to vote. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Right. They, they won't. They, Europe, Europe won't embrace our stupidity. And we don't. Yeah. I mean, let's just talk about the abortion issue for a second. You know, so how many of our liberal friends constantly say, oh, but Europe is so great in Europe. If we could just be more like Europe and socialism. Do you know what the European abortion law is? It's totally illegal after the first trimester. Yeah. And it is largely not done after the first trimester. I think, Rob, that would be a step in the right direction. Yeah. I'm an incremental guy. Yeah. Let's take Politics the, is done by increments, yeah. Yes, and and so the purity test, I think, is what I'm trying to get at. I don't look at you. I don't look at We want people. the perfect, and we miss the good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the enemy of good is always perfect. Yeah. You, so, so we've already contended, and I don't want to do this on the air. I, you know, when, when you say something like, uh, you, you had expressed very clearly, you said, I... I I was born this way. And then, I, you know, I, I I've, I've done this. And I, my response is, well, <laughs> I was born to be a polygamist. You know, I, that's my desire. But everything is submitted, even my sexuality, to God. And that the reason why I have no issue sitting with you and hearing you say that and people want me to eviscerate you and go to town on you, um, this, this is this, the truth is spoken in, in friendship over time. They're welcome yeah. to develop that. And if they want me to do that on the air, it's not going to happen. We'll do that together. I, I, I endeavor in, in this capacity to um, build a friendship with you so that when we speak to one another, we do it in psalms, hymns, spiritual praises, making yeah. melody in our heart, that we, we, we have that honest dialogue with one another. And, and I know that we can go in, in that area. I just don't really want to do it today. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll also add this, that as, as, as we, um, discuss these things, I'm blessed by it because you are, you are contending for religious liberty. And, and I want to, oh, yeah. I want to explain that to people. Yeah. Um, 
when Baronel Stutzman, the florist, was just barraged by the by the gay community, um, it was Milo Yiannopoulos and others in the in the gay community that came alongside to defend a religious liberty. Yeah, of course, and and were pariahs yes, in the yes. gay community. That's what I. That's what I mean when I say. I don't expect people to stand up and applaud and approve. We live in the greatest country yeah. in the history of the world. And if you want to hang your shingle as a business owner that says, I'm not going to provide uh, you know, a gay wedding with their pizza celebration for their reception, my first reaction is to say, well, you're not really gay if you're having pizza at your wedding. <laughs> my second reaction is to say... Let people choose if they, you know, that's the whole great thing about this country. And if if you can make a business out of saying, I'm going to serve only this these types of people or with my beliefs, I think it's fine. Now, we do get into immediately the, the question of like federal laws of allowing, you know, anybody and everybody to be served. And of course, the pizza parlor, the florist the cake baker, all of those people said, of course, we will serve gays and lesbians. That's not the issue. It is going the next step further of like the what sacra- your sister asked. Sa- sacrament of marriage. That th- What your this sister is, asked yeah, you yeah. and what I would never ask of my evangelical Christian brother. Yeah. I, I'm not going to say violate your beliefs to do something you know, at my wedding or whatever. I, I just don't see that as a plus. Yeah. Um, I want you to be different. I'm actually somebody who is for diversity and tolerance. And I learn and I think inherent in the word tolerance is tolerate. You may not understand. You may not get it. You may even be a little angry. But you don't deny someone's equality. You don't deny someone's rights. And you can also be friends with them. Yeah. It's an interesting thing called civility. Yeah. Yeah. missing quite often. You made uh, you made a distinction that I think is important that I want to revisit in regards to you talked about the difference between Christ and Christians. And I find the most venomous people towards Christianity isn't isn't because of Christian philosophy, it's because some Christian, usually someone important yeah. in their life, desperately hurt them. Yeah. And uh and that's the stuff that we need to to work on and work on repairing. Look, the Christ example, and I keep going back to like this red letter or the, you know, just look at story after story. Um, Christ was not ever the person of rejecting people unless they were religious and trying to spin. You know, he saved his harshest words and criticisms for those who took up the sword of you know, I'm defending God or I'm telling you what God said. His harshest criticism was for the Pharisees. Um, some of his strongest uh, blessing came upon the centurions, who yeah. were soldiers that, you know, were responsible for the oppression of, of um, you know, Israel. Uh, but they were men under authority. And, and you know, he, those are the times, and that was actually how my dad came to Christ, was through one of the stories of the centurion. Hmm. But in the same regard, um, truth is never tolerant of a lie, and a lie isn't tolerant of the truth. You speak the truth in love, but truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. Uh, there, there are absolutes, and we must contend on those, and we, and we do it in a manner that's civil. Um, 
I, I will contend with you because I love you. I yeah, will sure. I will continue to have this conversation as you will with me. I'm I'm fascinated because it's not often that the evangelical world um, has access to someone of your accomplishment and and your persuasion that you can speak things in, that they've never heard before. And one I want to ask you. Yeah. Fire away. Uh, th- this, I'm never offended. Th- seriously, this no, I don't think this will offend you. I, I, I'm seriously curious. Uh, in the gay community, and, and and this is what's frustrating me. We're we're watching as they're adding a number of letters to this whole thing. Oh, LGBT, yeah. the transvestite community, I, as I found in in the gay community, as folks I've talked with, it's it, it it they don't see it the way that the transvestite community sees themselves. The trans, yeah, yeah, they're they're kind of frustrated by this. And and women's rights advocates, I mean, you just realize that men now dominate women's sports. I mean, yeah. where's the, that's the patriarch. Crazy. It's crazy. Crazy. Look, where, where are the feminists? How, how, do, how does the gay community look at, at transgender? Well, first of all, let's just be really upfront and honest, is that I do not speak for the gay community. Yeah. No. <laughs> they can't stand me. I, yeah. <laughs> they, they would immediately... I'm going to get in so much trouble for Received. doing this, even entering into this room, well, which I'm, I trust love. Trust me, I'm going to get in trouble too, so we're in the same boat. And you know what? I love it's it. All right. I love it. Yeah. I I think that talking and sharing what your it's heart important. is all about is yeah. so important, and that's what Christ judges. So, um, look, I am uh, very uncomfortable with all of the letters. Um, I would much rather just associate with, you know, the label of gay conservative. I don't feel compelled to have all these other groups, and for me to immediately. I mean, we were told. Gay community was always told, well, it's all LGBT, and now you've got to add these other letters, and you've got to fight for people. No, I don't have anything in common with them. Again, it's one of those things that I don't understand, um, but I tolerate them. Even though I don't understand, I love – I'm a lover of people. I love people, and I love the different people. You yeah. can always learn from somebody. You don't have to like them, and you don't have to be best friends and have dinners with them regularly – but I find it to be um, so much better to be civil and to talk and to find common ground. And then you can go away and say, you know what, they're not going to be my best friend. And so I do that with the gay community. There's, there's a lot of people that I don't agree with, think that they're going down the wrong road. Look, I'll give you one example. One thing that we are doing uh, in Log Cabin, which is the gay conservative group, um, and this is where I had uh, Mike Pence, my friend Mike Pence, yeah. join us in supporting um, the decriminalization of homosexuality, right? Whatever you think of the gay community, should it be a crime and should you put people in prison in other countries for being gay? And I think most you know, overwhelming Christians would say, no, you don't put someone in jail for that. Um, you can disagree. You can say they're wrong. But, but is it the state's job to gather up homosexuals and put them in prison as they do in 69 countries. It's criminal. Nine countries will kill you, will throw you off a building if they find out that you're gay. You said that at the Log Cabin Republican event when you said folks like us are being thrown off buildings in the 1040 window, longitude and latitude where 90% of the Muslim world exists, and it's the Christian due process that has given us in a pluralistic society this Freedom yes. to not only exist, but also to have a contingent of political arm of log cabin. I, I thought it was very insightful. I, I went to, to Mike Pence, my friend, and I said, look, do you believe that, that 
it should be a criminal offense to be gay. And he was like, no. And so he joined me on the decriminalization campaign that we were pushing. And yet, do I know that um, Mike Pence and I agree on every subject? Probably not. Um, but I wanted to take that step and have people uh, join in by saying, you know, let's make some progress here, um, understanding that people have religious uh, beliefs that this is wrong, that it's sin, that people uh, should repent of all this. I get that. I don't share that. Um, I've studied and and looked at verses, and we can you know debate like and, I do and, in my and, family, and we have and we will. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I, anyway, at the end of the day, I'm somebody who uh, wants to look at the glass and say, where where are we in common? What's what's half full, not half empty? We're um, I'm joined together with Sean Foyt. He's a worship leader, and he's, he's contended with a tyranny, and he did a worship service on the Golden Gate Bridge when the lockdowns from Governor Mussolini happened. And we're meeting uh, at the headquarters of Disney uh, with this, you know, don't say gay bill that they've, yeah, they've labeled terrible. it so inappropriately. Wrong. But they, they want to sexualize our young people, yeah. our young kids. Um, and, and, you know, schools are not supposed to be indoctrination centers. No. They're, they're where you go to be educated. So... I'll be out there in front of Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be. I'll stand with you. No, I, I, I know you will. Because this is—it's terrible what Disney is doing. It's—it's it's taken away parental rights. Yeah. And honestly, mm-hmm. I believe that the parents, up until the age of eighteen, you get to decide when your kid gets a phone. You get yeah. to decide yeah. when your they're, kid they're, goes they're to stewards, church. They're stewards. They're yes. stewards of their life. Absolutely. You are uh, you are an, a unique breed, Rick Grinnell. Um, I'm not that unique, though, Pastor Rob. I'm telling you, if you if you get to know, and this is, I think, my challenge to, I, to the listeners. Bring, bring it on. And I, I say to my brother all the time, you know, the church has failed gays and lesbians. You you want to see a group of people that are really angry at the church, and I would say many, and I don't want to give a percentage because I'm going to already be attacked, but many. Gays and lesbians were raised in the church, rejected by people in the church, kind of to your point, and they get angry, and they're still angry because they've they've been rejected. And I think, and what I say, you know, focus on Christ, focus on His example every day. Uh, ask yourself, you know, am I living more like Christ every single day? And if you can answer that in the, in the affirmative, I think you're on the good path. Um. Tell me about your brother, evangelical minister. Yeah, uh, my brother, Jeff Grinnell. Um, a lot of people think he looks like me. He's older, so he looks older. <laughs> yeah. You preserve well. How old are you? Uh, I'm 54. I'm 57. Yeah. You look way fitter and better shape. Yeah, I fight it every day. Yeah. Uh, but my, my older brother, Jeff, uh, we have another brother, Brad, uh, three boys in the family, and then uh, the girl is the oldest, my sister. Now, are, you, are you the, the only youngest. gay person in your family yeah. or okay yep um that that must have been a like a, the only gay person in your christian family I, this this had to be like a it was a big conversation right. <laughs> it was a big conversation and i think um you know i was somebody who fought very hard to have the conversation from i was born this way and i'm a christian and um you know uh, uh, there's, we can go, we could do a whole show on, and we should go back and forth. I'm, I'm game. And, and just let We're me We're not doing present. it tonight, but I'm game. Yeah. And, uh. It, 
th- this is we shouldn't be afraid to talk about it seriously because right? nobody gets the chance to hear this stuff and right. and really go go at it but but in a manner where they realize these guys really care about each other that'd be good yeah yeah, yeah. and look I, I, when I say that I'm an imperfect follower of Christ as am I I I thanks I I I got you beat on that by the way. I literally you know live in the world on a daily basis of thinking about the things of God, praying, um, worshiping, um, you know, on my, in my car, when I'm ever in my car, it's the message. It is a, uh, when I made this long trip out here, or I feel like I'm in Santa Barbara, (laughs) um, you know, it's, it's prayer time for me. I mean, I, I live this, this is not just a fly by night thing. And yet I'm imperfect. I struggle every day with trying to be more like Christ. And yet I think the best thing about it is waking up every morning, being thankful for the new mercies and thinking about, okay, what do I need to do differently? Was was your was your brother? The, oh, yeah, we were talking about my the, brother. your brother. The 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 pastor was he the the one that listened the best or the worst? No, or he, he, was, the he worst. was the toughest. Yeah, <laughs> he was one of the toughest. Um, so I think um, my sister in laws were the best. Um, it took a long time to kind of talk about these issues. Yeah. Um, I've got my, my brother, Brad has always been somebody who just is a lover and embraces me and has been a protector. My older brother, Jeff, um, he met his wife in college, uh, soulmate. She got cancer and died Mm. after having three kids. Um, that was an incredibly difficult time. Uh, he wrote a book, uh, a great book called if Job had Twitter, <laughs> and uh, it's it's all about going through the death of his wife. Yeah. Um, last year, an amazing thing happened. He met a woman. Uh, it, he was single for seven years. Met a woman and got married. And he now lives in Dallas, Texas, and um, is part of a church and just travels the country. He's uh, really concentrating on youth and youth oh, ministry. So he's a speaker. Got it. The speaker, um, he's affiliated with North Central University, which is the Assemblies of God School in Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis. Um, He was there for a long time, and now he's doing the same thing, but from a little bit of afar by being in Texas. He's my typical older brother, right? I'm the youngest, and he's got things that he needs to teach me on a daily basis. Everything will go well if you do it his way. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But I love him. I'm the youngest, so I get it. Yeah, and so he's he's full of grace as well. And I think that he and I have had an an amazing ability to talk openly about these issues. And we don't always agree, uh, but I know that he's always going to be fighting on my side um, in everything. And that, I think, is, is an amazing place to be in because you want your family right to be honest and to love you and to realize that when you get together the last thing you want to do is list all the things that you don't agree with right you know nobody does that that's like the story told about my dad yeah look for the things you do have in common yeah but if you got together with family members and you know 
even your your straight brother and was like, can I give you the list of the, all the things that I don't like about you or I think that you should change? Yeah. You're probably not going to have a very good dinner. No, and, and, <laughs> and if they did it for me, it'd just be like a novel. You couldn't it'd be too <laughs> war and peace. You know? We just don't do that, right? Yeah, but for yeah. some reason... With the gay community, there's always like this thing where Christians are like, I got to tell you all the things I don't like about you. And I usually say in a joking way, at the end of that, then can I tell all the things that I don't like about you? And let's see how you feel. Yeah. This is, this is fascinating because we, we take a look at critical race theory. And these are disenfranchised minorities that uh, can't contend in the world of ideas they don't hold the absolute truth. They unify themselves for political prowess to invoke their demands upon society. They're intolerant. Intolerant. And, and they, they exploit historical wounds. And it, it's very appealing to the secular progressive gay left as it is to the secular progressive black, to the secular... I mean, we can go down the list and... Yeah. And, and, you know, you're victims and you're owed something. And I'm going to punish you yep. for the sins of the past. Yep. And I'm going to remind you and I'm going to pour salt into it. And, and that's where I think we don't, we talk over each other, right? Because the, the people who are like, let's not teach that, they're not saying it didn't happen. They're saying, I don't really believe that we should teach on all of the, the negative parts because there's a whole glass full of water that we could be celebrating and teaching on how, of how great America is. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Brigger said all of America's failures, um, America has in common with every other nation in the world, its failures, but its successes are unique. Yeah. Meaning, yeah, we were a slave nation and then we fought a war and changed that. Um, we, we were subservient to King created a constitutional Republic uh, you know, we, we, you, you go through these periods in American history, first, second, great awakening and and the, the biblical vernacular and the the freedom of religion, and the first 16 words of of uh, the First Amendment, this idea that in, in the history of the world, 6000 years of recorded history, uh, the, the most powerful branch of, of the three branches of legislative, which it carried the purse strings, is now given a prohibitive, almost angry statement. You shall make no law. Yeah respecting the establishment of religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And, and, and to protect a man's right before God to worship. Oh, it's huge. And as, as long as, and now that's why, that's why Islam doesn't work well in America, because I'm, I'm going to get beat up for this, but I look at Islam as, well, a segment of it. I look at it as a political structure disguised as a religion, Sharia law. I look at secular progressivism as a political structure or as a religion disguised as a political structure. It's just atheism. So in Sharia law, it's a demanding of adherence. That's not conducive with our constitution. You can't force that on anyone. So I think what you're talking about is really when a religion blurs the line yeah. into kind of controlling on the, the laws of man. Right. Right. And, I would argue that there are sometimes Christians that do that, uh, well, and, sure. and they take over and they try to, um, you know, muscle out. It's why, you know, it, that's such a slippery slope. Um, obviously, we should have people that, and maybe it is, maybe that realm is ministers and Christian ministers in particular. Now that I think about it, but I was going to say we should have people that go into 
that industry yeah. and that teach us uh, you know the, the the ways forward of not blurring religion in with political movements, right? To keep them pure and to keep them separate. But at the same time, um, you also have it's a fine line because you want Christians to be involved, you want Muslims to be involved, you want Jews to be involved, right? right? I'll give you an example. When I was U.S. ambassador to Germany, um, sitting in my office one day, and the guy that is appointed by Chancellor Merkel to fight anti-Semitism throughout Germany announces that Jews shouldn't wear kippahs in Berlin because it's dangerous. Mm. To which I was like, what world are we living in? Yeah. This is mm. Germany. Yeah. Do you no. have your papers? And, exactly. And so I uh, immediately instruct the team at the embassy, um, borrow your friend's kippah, borrow your neighbor's kippah. But when we go outside of this embassy for the next week, we're going to all wear kippahs. We're going to show them that you cannot take someone's religious freedom away. And yeah. I held a press conference with rabbis, and I had my cross. And um, I pulled out my cross, and I said, if somebody told me, that I couldn't wear my cross in public, I would tape it to my head. That is crazy to think about that. The problem is with the, the people attacking, not with me somehow enticing them to attack me because I have a cross or I have a kippah. And so we really tried to change that, not because I'm Jewish, but because my evangelical Christian mother taught me to Defend Israel all the time. Yeah. And and I see religious liberty not as something negative towards me at all, but as something that, that every single person should go to their grave defending. And that's why it's in our Constitution, right. and we have to defend it at all costs, even when you don't agree with it, even when you don't like it. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah you're saying... Yep. No, no, I'm just in agreement. Amen. Uh so, you know, from the moral law comes civil law. So you have the Decalogue. And, and then you have, you know, Leviticus and Deuteronomy where you get the civil law in there. And this idea that we govern ourselves. And, and even when we get the three branches of government, Isaiah 33, 22, the Lord is our king, our lawgiver, and our judge, executive, legislative, judicial branch. And we even see a constitutional republic in Israel with the Decalogue mm-hmm. being the, 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 I guess, the declaration and then the representative side of uh, of the republic would be Jethro saying to Moses, appoint godly men who are not covetous, who love the law, thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, federal, state, county, local. Right. And, and, and you see that. You see these people live together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army. And then the longest running family meal in world history is the Passover, which is, remember, you're once slaves, now you're free. Yeah. Freedom's not man's idea, it's God's idea. And... And we must contend for absolutes. Um, and so that's why exegetical work of scriptures, that if we're going to say that this is the living, breathing word of God, and it's true in its capacity and contend for it and rightly divide it and go through that, and, and we debate these things. Um, this, this happens in a world where there's freedom of speech. Yeah. Because... Speech is a gift from God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt with man. He creates the heavens and the earth spoken. Yahior hua, yahior. Light be, light was. It's the ability to... Logos is this intellectual conversation to contend for justice. And when you stifle speech, the ability to come let us reason together as your sins were scarlet that we wash as white, that we have to... 
We have, to, we have to contend for these ideas. And I've always said, people are not the enemy. They're the opportunity. Their ideology is the enemy. We contend for that, but we do it in a manner where we have the freedom, what people are seeing right now, to talk yeah. it out. Yeah. I would add just one thing that, that is pretty real to me in, in dealing with, you know, whether it's you. And I'm not a Harvard man. graduate, by the way. So. <laughs> um. You know, when, when Christ was on the cross, <clears throat> the most amazing moment for me in this story, um, the retelling of his death, is the moment that the veil was torn. Mm -hmm. And the symbolism that you no longer have to give your prayer to another human yep. who would go in and intercede for you. That that veil, which, you know, remember and you of course you know that if you went in and you were impure you, you had drop to, dead they pull you out on the they rope, had to pull yeah. you out yeah you had rope on your in your leg the pomegranate right? bells would stop dingling that that was pretty amazing <clears throat> to have all of a sudden at the moment of death the moment that that christ as a human was killed and descended and ascended into heaven you, you really have the ripping of the veil to, to me is the symbol that you don't need man anymore. And I don't need your approval, right? Your job is to help point me as a pastor to a greater focus on Christ's example, yeah. not of, you know, all these other ideas. And so I think that, that if your heart is focused on Christ, that he is going to be the one that is going to speak to you. And, and you can, I think, judge, if I can use that word, whether or not somebody is open to, to Christ and his words. And so I firmly believe in my relationship with the Creator as something that is a two-way street that, I, that yeah. I hear. And so that's why I will go toe-to-toe -to -toe yeah. on the fact that I was born this way and you know, feel like God doesn't make mistakes. We can do a whole show on that. Yeah, we, we will. <laughs> People want me to jump on that. Yeah. Of course, I know. I and, know. And, I, and I just... Um, I, know, I know your belief, and uh, I mean, you know mine. Yeah. So. And, and suffice to say, anyone watching thinking, you know, Rob's giving him a pass, well, I'm not. I'm, yeah. I just, and, I, and I know you're not. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not and I'm time. okay with that. Yeah. That's the whole thing, is, is that we... Um, we, we have to come together and be able to, to believe that we can have a conversation we'll and then through. walk yeah. out the door as friends. Amen. And we are. Amen. For sure. I, I, we could also do a whole hour on the things that I want to hear, which is, yeah. um, and that's... Uh, do aliens exist from do my aliens DNA exist. Days? Yes. That's usually yes. the number one question. No, I don't want to go there. No, no, I, no, I, I want the number two question, which, so in looking at our, our government and, you know, having that insider's view deep, I know, you know, Trump asked you to do some cleaning and organizing and, you know, getting, you know. Firing. Yeah. <laughs> um, man. Which, which I think is, is probably the number one thing we're ailing from is people who have been in these positions for decades yeah. um, who are really running the government. Yeah. And so a president comes in and, you know, how do you possibly, you know, hire thousands upon thousands of the right people, oh, you know? And, and so, question. so talk, yeah, talk a little bit about that. Cause that, that's, we the, can make a little news here. Come on. Um, 
It's such a great question, and and I guess I I would say this, and this is just my opinion for everybody who is going to you know <clears throat> subscribe what President Trump uh, believes, but this is my opinion. I believe that President Trump in a second term would have and will act differently. Yeah. Um, I believe that he knows that personnel is is power in a different way, right? Yeah. As the outsider, and and you know, President Trump told me he had never stayed the night in Washington D.C. until the week of his inauguration. Right. You think about that. That is an ultimate outsider. Yeah. And he thought, and nobody around him told him any differently, that. Like a businessman would think, if you go into a new organization, just make sure the C-suite is correct. Make sure that the White House has your people, right? And the White House directs out. What I think he learned now is that every agency, every sub part of an agency, every every part of the tentacle needs to have the the loyalists for the president who are going to implement his policy. Now, I, I use the term loyalist just like everybody else does, uh, assumes in the Obama administration that if you're an Obama appointee, you're loyal to the Obama policies. That's not that crazy of an idea. But right. every time the Trump people would say, we want loyalists, they'd say, we were, ah, ele- we were elected you- on these ideas yeah. and yes. you're for well, them, come and join us. Well, the, the the crazy thing about that is even in any large enterprise, I mean, forget the largest enterprise we have you know, here in the country, but in any large enterprise, if you don't have people all the way down you know, the, the uh, to the bottom that understand what the mission is and share your values to a certain extent, you're not getting anything done because people about, can just passively about- resist you. How about the opposite? What if you have people who are actively yeah. working against yeah. that CEO? I mean, to yeah. me, that's where uh, you really have to be able to say that, that, well, that well, those people are in the wrong. That's why the the uh, establishment works, even if it's, let's say, the Republican establishment, right? Because they come in and they've got all the people that have worked in previous administrations for other Republicans, and they know all who they are. So they've got 5,000 exactly. people on deck ready exactly. to jump into these key roles. And, exactly. and, 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 and they Trump, all live in Washington, D.C. Right, and Trump told, didn't have that. I told President Trump, next time that you start hiring— you ask for everyone's resume, and if they have a Washington D.C. address, you toss it in the basket. Yeah, hire people outside. Yeah, of Washington, have people whose churches are not in Washington. Have people whose lives are not in Washington, whose social lives are not in Washington, whose kids don't go to school in Washington. Because honestly, I look at these reporters, even conservative reporters, yeah. and I can list them all. They all are not going to rock the boat too much because their kids go to school yep. and their church and their social life, everything is valued in that city. Yeah. Why do we keep asking people to change Washington, D.C. and to make it less powerful? Do you think that we could convince the studio executives in L.A. to make L.A. less powerful? Yeah. No. no. You're never no. going to do that. So we have to dig trenches into Washington, send people who will only be there temporarily. And if I can give a shout out to Ron Johnson, who I think is one of the best senators to do this. His life is not in Washington, D.C. Everything is in Wisconsin. And he flies back all the time to get away from it because he represents the people of Wisconsin. Well, and we should move key departments around the country, too. Absolutely. You know, uh, because I think some of that will will break up and decentralize. Let me give you a terrible example. And maybe we'll make a little news with this, but... I caught, when I was acting director of national intelligence, through our security procedures. That that was my question. I want to go who the leaking came from, but go ahead. We caught somebody 
with classified information open on their computer and another screen of unclassified, <clears throat> taking classified information, retransposing it over on the unclassed system, changing the words to make them more negative and dramatic against President Trump in some of the intel that this individual was reading, caught him red-handed through the system that we have. It wasn't me just right, catching right. him, but right. it was through the system. We let him hang himself a little bit more. The FBI took him, went to his home, collected all this information. I, I, I can't give you the details of what he was doing, but trust me when I tell you, and I know Adam Schiff has said that before, <laughs> but trust me when I tell you, he was taking classified intelligence, changing it to make it more negative and dramatic against mm -hmm. President Trump, and sending it to NGOs in Washington, D.C., caught. And do you know that he was not prosecuted? I, I could have placed it drives me bananas to think yeah. if we are not going to prosecute people who break the law right. simply because, oh, he was targeting Donald Trump. Yeah. Now, President Trump knows this story. This would not yeah. be news to him. But I ended up firing people who stood around and allowed that to happen. Yeah. And Implicit. I said, we may not get this guy, but I'm in charge of these other people, and they're gone. Yeah, good for because you. Because we cannot have this in our country. Cut and to tell the intelligence community that they have a problem of credibility with the public, they don't believe me. But honestly, the public needs to, through every means possible, let the intelligence community know that they must police themselves they know who the leakers are. They must out these leakers. And if they don't do it, they're going to continue to have a credibility problem to That's the right. point where we won't trust them. We are not going to believe when they say, oh, if you move your embassy to Jerusalem, there's going to be World War III. Yeah. Which yeah. we didn't believe we them. We didn't believe it. And we were right. Speaking of World War III, because I, I know you're busy and you got a long drive back, I, I, I would do a disservice to our viewers if I didn't touch on this, because I've got you here uh, you've got great capacity to speak into this. Um, tell us about Ukraine, your, your, your assessment of it, Russia, yeah. Ukraine, Zelensky, Putin, Biden. Uh, You're you really going to get me in trouble. Well, there's folks, there's, there's folks that say, you know, th this, is, this is a European training center for Antifa. This is where NIH is funding bioweapons laboratories. Uh, Zelensky's on the dole. This is where they launder money. I mean, and, yeah. and he's a bad player. But we've got folks, you know, we've got our missionaries over there dealing with yeah. now four and a half million refugees. We're, we've sent folks over. We're sending supplies. We're buying ambulances. We're contending to help displaced Good. human beings based on World Economic Forum of a billion displaced people. They're working on it. What's happening over there? What's Some the of read? all that can be true, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, and gold standard with Putin and now China and the oil and why yeah. we're buying from him and funding this war. And I think the one thing that we have to start with <laughs> is that um, this is not a black and white issue. There is no. not one hero and one villain. No. Yeah. Okay? And that's difficult for people to understand. That is very difficult for people to understand. I believe that you can say Ukraine is a corrupt country yeah. that has a history of terrible corruption. And still, when you look at what's being done to them, Heartbreaks, yeah, and you want to give them the ability to defend themselves, and I think that's where we go here, right? We gave so much to the Afghans and the Iraqis, mm -hmm. and they didn't 
stand up like we've seen with the Ukrainians. No. The Ukrainians have demonstrated, I'm, had, I'm ready to fight and for we send my them, country. We don't even give them air cover. And we want them. That's what we want. America first policy that I believe in is not just about bringing our troops home and not starting wars. It's getting our allies to do more. Yeah. Germany, for instance. We have to be able to say that the Germans <clears throat> really enticed some of this by trusting Putin, and they never should have. What I will say on the Ukraine issue is we, as Americans, always do the great thing of helping when we see a a problem. So the humanitarian response, we should continue. This is heartbreaking to see what it's it's the thing we can do, and we're going to do. Putin is doing. It's terrible. Um, I do believe the nuances here that Ukraine has largely been a bridge country. You know half Russian, half West. Yep. Uh, that's just traditionally what it's been. It's moved through Zelensky and others to be more pro-West, and that is what has inflamed Putin. Putin. Yeah, is His goal was always to get rid of this current Zelensky government. I, I think we've got to be very careful to protect Zelensky because I think he's the target. What Putin believes is they've got to get rid of Zelensky in order to have new elections. Um, at the same time, Putin, who uh, the Russians always push misinformation. We used to call it propaganda. I try to keep using yeah. that word propaganda as much as possible. They're masters at propaganda. And uh, so you've got to be skeptical on both sides. Yeah. What you see and what you hear, be skeptical about this region and, and what's happening. Um, I give your heart is going to break when you see what's happening to the Ukrainians. They don't deserve this. Right. Territorial integrity is is what we should be fighting for. But there are some red lines here. Uh, Russia has a nuclear weapon. I don't want to see Americans fighting the Russians who have a nuclear weapon. If the Russians cross into a NATO country, we have a NATO treaty obligation. I think more is on the line our credibility, and we will have to defend the NATO alliance, freedom, and the Western alliance by then taking on, which is why I think you see Putin not crossing into Poland, not going into a NATO country. Uh, He's coming very close. Um, Now we kind of see him withdrawing. I think the big story is the Ukrainians stood up so much. Could this be a defeat for the Russians? Have the Russians overplayed? That's where I wish we would have been able to supply anything and everything to them so that they could defend themselves. And then lastly, I'll just say this is in Europe, right? This is yeah. in the European neighborhood. Our policy of bringing our troops home and having our allies do more is why we wanted to bring all of our troops home from Somalia right. yeah. and let Kenya police the yeah, neighborhood. Deal with it. Yeah. And, and that is, we can help and we have technology, but I believe we should be selling these weapons two years ago yeah. rather than giving them now because we're in a crisis. We have a yeah, that's wise. We have a a friend on the ground in in Kiev, um, Delta. Um, he was getting shelled, and he said, "You know, when I was in Syria and these other areas hunting ISIS, um, we used drones and air cover, and we hunted them." He says, "Here, they're using drones and air cover against us, and we're the targeted." And he said, "the the Russian troops are unwilling to come in." He, he's assessed this. He's sharp. He said that the, the, the Russian troops don't have a, a stomach for, for, for the building-to-building combat. Uh, if we just have any air cover, this thing's over. 
I don't believe that we should do that air cover. I believe that it, we can should we be, not send yeah, the equipment for them to we do it. We should have been yeah. doing it. Well, first of all, I I would advocate for selling it to them years ago, yeah. not giving it to them now. Yeah, but if we if we do an active no fly zone, that that means that we have to have planes up there shooting things down, and that's yeah. that's, that's that's war. The escalation thing I yeah. think is a little bit silly in that we sold them javelins, which is pretty aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't really see the difference between a javelin and you know the latest and greatest airplane, uh, a fighter jet. Um, I, I want them to be able to defend themselves. And yeah. if we would have done this a couple of years ago, it would have been a sale for the United States rather than just giving it to them now. How about the concept of the oil? Where you know we shut down the Keystone Pipeline, Permian Basin's pretty. I mean. We have what 170 years of oil in our country. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we we don't need anything. It comes to, out know. in Manhattan Beach. I know because we it's don't pump it. We enough. don't pump it and just gloops and out all of a sudden on the beach. Santa Barbara too. Yeah, and and California's financial woes could be over overnight. Yeah, um, but yet we we purchase a, a percentage from Russia, and every time it's over a hundred dollars a barrel. And this was Victor Davis Hanson when he's on our program saying, Putin's printing money. I mean, we basically America's funded this war. Yeah. And instead of Germans, coming, yeah, Germans too. And instead of, you know, seeking oil stateside, we're, we're going to Venezuela. And I, I, yeah, I, it doesn't make what, any what, sense. What's, what's that all about? No, uh, you know, we had this explosion of liquid natural gas LNG here in the United States, right? Pennsylvania Senate yeah. race and Trump versus Biden was all about fracking. And are you going to allow it? Are you going to continue to let the United States actually be an energy exporter? Do you know? There's not a single LNG terminal on the entire West Coast. We have so much LNG that that our LNG producers sometimes have to let it go and burn it. And it's, it's, the, it's, it burns so clean. And it's yeah, clean. We're, we're stupid. But and every governor in Washington, uh, all the governors in Washington, Oregon, and California do not allow there to be a terminal. So we no. can't sell what we have to China, which would clean give us a clean energy yeah give us money get us all off middle east oil but you know who's just building a terminal mexico yeah on the baja coast wow because they see the americans aren't going to do it then we better do it yeah wow yeah we are so stupid and we're being held hostage to extreme uh environmentalists and that's their own religion yeah Uh, what's your prediction of the midterms ambassador so I'm twenty uh, seats, fifty seats. It's I think it will be historic on the House side. Yeah, um, you know we see now even some of the rhinos that are beginning to drop out. Um, yeah. I think they're afraid. President Trump is clearly in control of this Republican Party, and uh, people are scrambling to get his endorsement, and they recognize the outsider and the change that needs to happen in Washington. I I think that we do take over. The House Republicans take over the House in massive numbers. I'd say upwards fifty-five. Wow. wow. Um, I would predict. Uh, I could predict three seats, but we may lose something in the Senate. Um, so I still think that we come out plus two overall. Yeah. Um, and I have to give a shout out to my great friend, Adam Laxalt, who's running for the Senate in Nevada. Okay. I'm uh, helping chair that campaign. Come He's on. a great candidate. And if you're in Nevada, help Adam Laxalt out. There you he, go. he can do it. He's seven points up uh, by some polls. So That's great. Do you have a podcast, anything people listen to, any place you want to send folks? Ah. Or are you just you laying yeah. low and just doing work these days? Yeah, how can money? we help I'm doing, you? I'm driving all the way out here to uh, do this type of podcast. So. No, I don't have awesome. anything. Um, I... I Dabbling on a book. Um, 
I struggle with the book idea because, you know, once you send out the book, it's then old news. And so much of what you want to say needs to be relevant. But, um, and I don't want to do a, this is my life of like, I was born in Muskegon, Michigan, and I don't want to do all that. I want to be relevant. So I'm struggling with exactly where that is, but I'm getting closer. So, um, I would say just that. And then I'm a Newsmax contributor now. Right on. And awesome. I'm on ACLJ okay. uh, twice a week um, with my friends, uh, Jay Seculo and Jordan yeah. Seculo. So They're listen great. to me there. Yeah. Good dudes. Yeah. Well, Ambassador, we have been so privileged to have you. And I, 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 I don't, I, folks know this. I mean, I, I'm just so happy to call you my, my friend and I'm, I'm blessed to. Me too. The, the interaction in my life has been uh, so fruitful. Uh, from the very first time, like I described to everybody, and um, and then seeing you at the Turning Point event, and I tried to encapsulate it, but I was just too nervous to tell you that. No, and then nice. to have the chance to just kind of relax and have a conversation, it was. Yeah. And, and and we can go do that other stuff later. Yeah. Um, hey, if you ever want me to attack you, if that's going to help you, let yeah, me yeah, know. That'd be yeah, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I'd, yeah, that'd be good. Listen, yeah, I'd love to have dinner with you sometime. That'd be great. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd, I, uh, we'll do it. I can't can't thank you enough. Yeah, and um, if I have it and you need it, I'll give it. Awesome. Yeah. We're Thank super, you so much. super grateful for that drive, too. I've, I've done that many, many times. Yeah, so, come to the know. beach sometime. Yeah, yeah, we'll do it. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for, for Rick, and I thank you for his kindness to come and be with us. I thank you for his candidness, his honesty, and just to share his heart. And Lord, more than that, his friendship, uh, just to, to be such a blessing to me these years. I pray, Lord, that you would protect him guide him, cover him, get him home safe. No, not safe, Lord. I'm so sick of that word. Lord, he's he's dangerous and wise. Uh, let him navigate the traffic however he pleases. We're immortal until you're done with us, Lord. I thank you that this man is fearless. And I, I ask, Lord, that there would be years ahead where he would serve this nation as you have so uniquely equipped him to be so profound in those positions. God, please, I pray that you give him one of those uh, very, very soon. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. God bless you. You enjoy. Well, folks, <laughs> Ambassador Rick Grinnell, uh, and I, I just, I, I, I marvel at uh, the people that come here and the privileges we get. Uh, God brings you into the Court of Kings. I know Rick doesn't feel that way about himself, but I do. Uh, great gift to this country. And um, I, I so enjoyed the conversation. We're going to have more of those uh, as time permits. But listen, folks, um, we endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, and we we seek understanding. And people don't so much care about yeah, people don't want to know about you; they want you to know about them. Mm. And and when you spend time getting to know somebody, it really opens up a world of understanding, and you start to gain insight. And uh, a man so uniquely positioned that um, I, I I don't know. It's almost like a unicorn to me that that he has this love for liberty, this love for the church, this faithfulness to contend for truth. And, um, and then we watch as we just share in a manner that's civil. And that's, that's the beauty of this nation. And uh, you have met tonight, my dear friend, Ambassador Rick Grinnell. We'll have more later. But until then, thanks for joining us on Liberty Station. Good night, everyone. God bless you. Good night.